Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf and welcome to my podcast, Cleaning Up the Mental Mess. Today, I have a fascinating and important discussion with someone I have admired and followed for years, Marianne Williamson. For more than three decades, Marianne has been a leader in spiritual and religiously progressive circles. She's the author of 14 books, four of which have been New York Times bestsellers. And on Saturday, the 11th of March, she declared she's running for Democratic nominee for president for the second time. We have an important and fascinating discussion about how we need to apply spiritual principles in a practical way. For example, you can't have the future you want without cleaning up the past. We also speak about what she can do for the minds of America, how it's our job to create a vision of justice and love that is so powerful that it will override the forces of hatred and injustice and fear. This, she said, this country is drowning in information but starving for understanding. We talk about this and we talk about how problems have solutions in them and what we can do as a community to come together and make society a better place for ourselves and the people in our lives. Join me in this amazing discussion. I am so thrilled and excited to have Marianne Williamson with me today. Marianne, you have been such a a guide to so many people. You've been a spiritual advisor. You have written 14 books, four of the New York Times bestsellers. But you teach on the important things of life. You teach on what it means to be human. You teach on understanding spiritual suffering for what it is and just to me, a human. And you have so many great things that you say. Every time I listen to you, I am fascinated and absorbed in what you say. So I want to thank you for that. And I want to thank you as well for running again for president. <laughs> Need someone like you really, you know, running our country and fixing up what is you know, happening out there. So before we dive into that, I just want to say thank you and welcome. Well, thank you very much for having me. Thank you for your generosity. And I'm glad to know that we're on the same path in life. So thank you so much. Absolutely, I'm sure. You know, one of my favorite things that I've heard you say is that there is, you say it a lot, okay, you say you need to apply spiritual principles in a practical way. For example, you can't have the future you want without cleaning up the past. And I found that absolutely fascinating because I do a lot of work, as I mentioned before, in research and helping people identify their trauma and, you know, rewire the mind-brain-body connection, all that kind of thing. So you say when you make that kind of statement, I think it's extremely important, and I'd love you to elaborate on that. Well, if you think about it, the past only exists in your mind, and the future only exists in your mind. So from a metaphysical perspective, the idea is that the only place where divine intelligence, God, ultimate reality, whatever you want to call it, intersects with linear time is in the present moment. So the point of power is this present moment. That's where infinite possibility, including the possibilities to begin again, resides. So the idea from a metaphysical perspective, of course, is that there it is as though the mind has been split in two. And one part of the mind is the natural part of the mind, which is connected to a higher source, God, whatever we want to call it. And it is love. It is literally, the mind of God is literally love. But living on this earth, We have been trained into a thought system that has dominated the world for ages, which is disconnection from love. And when love is absent, fear is produced, just as when light is absent, darkness is produced. So this fear-based mind, call it ego or anything else, is a constant temptation to think about the past or to think about the future 
Because what it's trying to get us not to do is to reside in the one place where the past can be healed and the future can be reprogrammed. So forgiving the past, forgiving others for their mistakes, living our, forgiving ourselves for our mistakes, atoning for our mistakes is the way we clean up the past. Otherwise, we bring it with us into the present. And when we bring the past into the present, we're simply programming the future to be just like it. Then we say, oh, see, nothing ever changes. But that's because in the present, we weren't willing to change it. Just like when you hear people say, oh, let it go. That's what that means. If you carry it with you, you know, the baggage we carry into any moment, what they did to me, what they said to me, the mistake I made, then you're dooming yourself to this constant recreation of the cycle. So whether you call it in the Course in Miracles, it's called the Holy Instant. Uh, Eckhart Tolle wrote about the power of now, This the discipline of knowing that what matters now is the person in front of you, the situation you're in right now, atoning for and forgiving the past, and being open to the infinite possibilities that the future can display if you are willing to be open to them in this present moment. I love that. It's beautifully said. You know, as scientists, we talk about mind and body being wired for love. And we quite literally are. Everything about us is for survival and survival is love. And as you say, God is love. So that's that's very, very powerful. So now let's bring it to, you, you have such a heart for children as well. I hear you often comment on, in, in relation to this past, to the present, we've got to think of our children into the future because the way that our children are trained up now, we know we have standard sayings, it's going to impact the future. But we're living in a in a society in an age where we are so frightened of the changes and all the technological changes. Yet generational changes do happen. Change happens. So we should be helping our children to manage their minds in order to be able to deal with how they move into the future. Can you talk a little just a little bit about how you see children in the future? Because children are now and the future, just in relation to your previous answer. I remember when I was pregnant with my daughter feeling in a way I never had before, this deep connection to generations before me, a deep connection to generations that would come after. I had this visceral experience of my place and just the continuation of the life of the species. It is an expression of our profound disconnection as a species that we are not doing more to take care of our children today. Any, any advanced mammalian species that survives and thrives, a common characteristic is the fierce behavior of the adult female when she senses a threat to her cubs. You could look at the tiger, you could look at the, the lion, you could look at the bear. You come after their children, they're coming after you. Any species which is imbued with the intent to survive treats their children with that kind of care and protection. The fact that at this point in our development as a species, we are not actually as a whole, certainly in the advance, really all I can really talk about, we'll just keep it to my country. The fact that children at this point in American history are so low compared to other advanced democracies in the factors that display the well-being of children, the health of well-being, the happiness of children the education, the culture of children. And that is because we are allowing ourselves, we are entranced literally by, a, by the dictates of an economic system that only gives precedence to that which feeds it. Now, children aren't old enough to work, so they don't have any financial leverage. They're not old enough to vote. 
So they're not a constituency. So at this point, I think they're the main collateral damage. Some people would say the earth itself is the main collateral damage. I think children are the main collateral damage to an amoral economic system that is without love. Mm. And in that sense, it is sociopathic. I don't think that there's ever been a generation of Amer- of Americans that not only did so little to at least try to help our children, but actually did so much to actually exploit them. For mm. instance, we had until the 1960s tuition-free college at state colleges and universities, building a profit center and such a mean-spirited, tough profit center off the desire of your young people to get an education shows species self-hatred. It's, it's, it's self-destructiveness on, on behalf of our society behalf of our democracy, on behalf of our, our of, of our entire species to a certain extent, when you look at the fact that this is a trend in far too many places. Mm. That's why I think that's why I think the voices of women is becoming an urgent necessity. It goes beyond, oh, women should be given equal rights. I think the wisdom of women, the natural propensity of wisdom, our tendency to say, what about the babies? It's an urgent voice that is needed at this time, I, I believe. Oh, wow. That's beautifully said. I couldn't have, uh, that's just brilliantly said. And that just t- t- takes me to when you announced for the, on the Saturday, the 11th of March, you announced your bid to run for president a second time. You made a statement, and I'm going to read that statement. You made lots of incredible statements, but this was very, really great because it kind of links to what we've been saying. It is our job to create a vision of justice and love that is so powerful that it will override the forces of hatred and injustice and fear. And you said this country is drowning in information, but starving for understanding. I mean, this is fantastic. It's so insightful and wise. I would love you just to dive into this a little bit and just talk about the most pressing issues that you see facing people today. Well, we we are the product in many ways of the very mechanistic Newtonian paradigm that grew out of the Industrial Revolution, first in Britain and then in the United States. It's a paradigm that says the world is a big machine. And if you want to change the world, you just tweak the pieces of the machine. But that was the 20th century, and it turns out to have been a big mistake in the 20th century. James Jeans, the British physicist, has said, turns out the world is not one big machine, it's one big thought. Mm. So we, I know, isn't that an amazing line? So we, this is why we have such a more whole person perspective that is the dominant mindset seeking to emerge in the 21st century. We realize there are many aspects of, of our reality as human beings beyond just the material. And when you do think only the material is real, when you think only the material matters, then when there is breakdown, which there will inevitably be, because the very fact you think that means you're so disconnected from deeper layers of truth and reality and justice and love, then your only problem-solving modality is to treat the symptom. And that's where we are. We are, once again, because we're dominated by an economic system, which has no heart. Mm. It has no heart. It is only seeking to create material wealth and more and more at the expense of the health and the well-being and the safety of human beings and of animals and of the planet itself. And at this point, our task is to intervene with that. So when you say what are the biggest issues, at the deepest level, it is that underlying issue. The fact that money on behalf of what is ultimately a sociopathic system is holding in its grip because of its undue influence. Our government, our health care, the production of food, 
our energy, how we treat our children, our foreign policy, and these huge entities, these huge corporate entities, whether it has to do with insurance companies or pharmaceutical companies, big food companies, big agricultural companies, big chemical companies, big oil, gun manufacturers, defense contractors. They're like this newfangled aristocracy. It's like we reverted to something from hundreds of years ago where this entitled elite are able to just suck up the resources of the country, mainly for themselves, their CEO class, their stockholders, to the point where, for instance, in this country, there has been a $50 trillion transfer of wealth out of the hands of 90% of the people to the to 1%. And people are falling apart. So as you know, then everybody says, well, it's a mental health crisis. But even that is only talking about the symptom. It is failing to see the role. Not that this is all of it, but you've got two main factors. You've got first, on the material level, anybody living with the level of economic anxiety and tension in a chronic way, year after year after year, of course, is going to have a mental health crisis. Who can do this? And the other is that this very mechanistic, overly secularized view of the world has sucked meaning out of the human experience. It's difficult. If you don't think it's a meaningful universe, you don't think you have any meaning. If you think all you are is flesh and blood and you don't think that you were created out of anything more glorious, you don't know who you are. You don't know where you fit into things. And then you don't teach your children that they are anything other than what they're able to achieve on a material plane. And you teach your children that success is merely able, their ability to make it on that ladder of success at the same time that making it on that ladder of success is becoming harder and harder and harder, except for a smaller group of people. It's a total societal and personal breakdown. It's a total, we're in code red here. We're, we're in, everything is on a level of, of downward spiral and we must intervene. Inertia means the tendency of the object to move in whatever direction it's been moving until and unless there is a direction of account at the introduction of a counterforce, we must be that counterforce at this point. Hey everyone, I am so excited to finally tell you about my newest book coming out August 8th called How to Help Your Child Clean Up Their Mental Mess. So many of you have been asking me questions about how to help your child manage anxiety, how to help your child who struggles with nightmares and sleeping. Well, this book is for you. In this book, I give scientifically proven steps to help children ages 3 through 10 to overcome anxiety, unhealthy thinking habits, and manage their mental health. I also explain how to use the five-step neurocycle to help your kids prevent toxic thoughts and become more mentally resilient. There are also practical guides on how to use the neurocycle to deal with issues like identity, bullying, sleep, nightmares, tantrums, and so much more. I'm also excited to introduce to you Brainy, who is a superhero who has a superpower called the Neurocycle, and I created this to help your child better understand their mind, emotions, and brain, and you'll learn all about Brainy in this book. And if you pre-order now, you'll get some amazing pre-order bonuses like a massive discount on the Brainy bundle, which includes the Brainy toy and coloring book. And you'll get access to my free live virtual webinar on how to prepare yourself and your child to go back to school. Plus, I will be answering questions about the book and your child's mental health. To pre-order now, go to mentallyresilientkids.com or drleaf.com. 
The book is also available on Amazon and wherever you buy your books. Plus, the audiobook is narrated by me. So, go to mentallyresilientkids.com and pre-order before August 8 to get access to these amazing bonuses. The link and details will be in the show notes. I cannot agree more. You know, for 38 years, I've been fighting an uphill battle in the world of mental health where I've watched over these the trajectory of people being seen in their whole context and people being seen in their humanity and who they are and their story and, you know, the past and all that, everything to being a, a list of symptoms diagnosed within a few minutes, you know, given a, a, a label and, you know, the label seems like a gift, but it's an empty gift and then medicated, and then that has all the side effects, and and, then, and, then, and the children, I mean, there's children as young as you, you, I mean, I know you're aware of this, but children as young as two are being diagnosed with bipolar, children in the womb are being, yeah. say, the mechanistic, move away from, moving away from the thought, moving away from the story, and I've spent 38 years trying to understand and teach what thinking is, and what thoughts are, and how they build in our stories, and it's 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 been an uphill battle, and that that's why it's so important that when you say Code Red, I cannot agree more, because we are seeing from the grassroots level up, we are seeing that people are saying enough. I'm tired of being labeled. I'm tired of being pushed out there. I'm tired of the symptom approach. You can't just suppress a symptom. You have to do so much more. And that's how I hear you. I hear you trying to do that. So what can you do for the minds of Americans? And and also, and I can speak to this from my own experience, the system comes back at you hard if you question it. Yeah. Because, you know, they have the psychopharmacological approach. And if you dare to question that, then you're deemed irresponsible about mental health. Yeah, the system is resistant to anything that might undercut its profit making goals. So when you say, what can we do? Each of us can do what we can do. You're doing a lot, obviously, with your podcast. I'm running for president. I think that the point is not what can you do. The point is, if you look in your heart, you know what to do. Are you doing it? You know, we have got to stop coddling in ourselves this idea that we don't hear the call. Most of us actually do hear the call, but it terrifies us. Because to stand up at this point for what many of us see as deep spiritual wisdom and truth does go against the grain of an entire social, economic, and political order. If we are to say, that short-term economic profits for huge corporate entities should not be the bottom line, humanitarian principles should be the bottom line, then if you just say it, okay, but if you like try to like run for president on it, you know, then you are really challenging the system. And I think that that's what we have to do now. We have to challenge the system. We have to say, we're done with polite requests. We've done with polite requests. Now, that doesn't mean we want violence. It's got to be a nonviolent revolution. But it does mean we are willing to inconvenience the system and we are willing to speak in places and in ways that we have been told not to speak because we're supposed to be good girls and we're supposed to get approval from the masters of the universe. If you're looking for approval from the masters of the universe right now, you might get their approval. But on the last day of your life, I can't imagine you'll be feeling good about how you spent your lifetime. Exactly. You've got to look at, you've got to live with yourself. You know, I remember back in the eighties when I was doing my degree and one of our neuroscience professors was telling us how the brain couldn't change. Now to say that on a podcast in this day and age sounds like what, what century in the eighties, not even that long ago, they didn't believe the brain could change. And I was being taught that in a class by a neuroscience lecturer. And I remember putting up my hand and I'm making a point here, putting up my hand and saying, so professor, 
But that can't be the truth because as humans, we are growing, we're changing, we're experiencing life, we have our stories, the spiritual experiences. So therefore, our mind is using our brain and we're changing. And he basically sarcastically commented back, oh, well, go do some research. I said, okay. Yeah, he yeah. said what? I'm sorry, he said what? Go do research. Go and research it. So I said, sure, okay. He was being sarcastic, but I said, okay, sure. What field should I research? Because he said traumatic brain injury, closed head injury, TBI. And I said, okay, great. Why? And he said, because there's no research there, because it's pointless researching about the human brain. So that was all I needed. Marianne, that was the challenge. So I went and did the research and I showed that the mind can change the brain. I did some of the first neuroplasticity research in my field back in the 80s. Now, mid-90s, we could, from MRI technology, we saw the brain can change. Now it's a totally accepted thing. So what I'm, the point I'm making is I agree with what you're saying. We need to create that friction to the inertia. We need to, if I just sat back and said, oh, okay, well, the brain can't change, I wouldn't have had a 38-year trajectory where I now reach millions of people, helping them with their mental health and helping them realize you don't have to take a drug to fix yourself. If you, you know, the medication may temper <clears throat> not solve a problem, but may temporarily give you relief, but it's not solving the problem. You have to get to the past. You have to do the work. You have to, you know, be, and so many people you've initiated, you've, you know, you put the friction in the inertia route, you've, and you're encouraging us to do that. So if I'm hearing you correctly, you're calling on us as individuals to stand up and find what our point of friction is that we can then go and fight, even if it's completely against the grain of the authorities in power at that moment, which is what I experienced as a student. Does that make sense? <laughs> Absolutely. And we have inflection points like this in history. And sometimes love and justice has prevailed, and sometimes love and justice has not prevailed. And I, I think that whether it has to do with genocide of Native Americans, whether it has to do with the Holocaust, whether it has to do with slavery, we are at a point of recognizing that we're living at a time where different forms of injustice are sort of filling the air at this time. Not huge institutional horrors, at least in this country, along the line of something like segregation or or the Holocaust or slavery. We don't have these huge institutional sources of injustice, but we have what I, I've been referring to recently as a kind of atomizer spray of just enough toxins, just enough fear, just enough injustice that it's literally keeping humanity down. It's keeping the majority of people from feeling that anything is possible. So that's why a spiritual path is so important, because a spiritual path is one in which you realize the purpose of your life is to be liberated from any external or internal walls that would obstruct your path to a greater becoming. But you begin with your own self, your own sense that there is a power in you, but not of you that can do for you what you cannot do for yourself. And that isn't a power of the rational mind alone. It is equally a power of the heart. You know, you probably know the work of James Doty, Dr. James Doty. I heard him talk about how in the field of neuroscience and neurophysiology, et cetera, that they are discovering much more of a direct route and partnership and alliance between the brain and the heart than they used to believe. And that you don't just think with your mind, you think with your heart. And your mind, when it is divorced from love, is a sociopathic and even dangerous weapon. It can be a weapon, obviously. But when your mind is infused with love, then there are no walls inside or outside that can hold you back. And when you look at the great circumstances of injustice and horror, such as I mentioned, 
human beings rose up. Human beings who knew in their heart slavery is not right. Human beings who knew in their heart the Holocaust is not right. Human beings who knew in their heart segregation is not right. And huge movements emerge from that kind of activation in the hearts of enough people. And that's how life set, corrects itself. That's how life corrects itself in our own individual lives. And that's how life corrects itself in the world. Mm, I love that because it's those tipping points. You know, it grows and grows and swells and eventually <clears throat> principles of, of physics as well. Eventually it will tip and I think we are reaching that. There's so much, you know, I've, I've been doing these interviews for years and in this field for years, and I can see a shift in what people are talking about. And in I agree. I totally it. agree. Well, one world is falling apart and another world is struggling to be born. Mm -hmm. And if we just let ourselves, I mean, I know what it feels like. And I think everybody knows what it feels like when you get into a mood, you get into a depressed place and you feel yourself sort of spiraling down. Now, there's a point which is where, no, this is processing. This is feeling my feelings. This is this is going through what I have to go through to process my disappointment. But you can feel that point at which it becomes self-indulgent, at which it becomes spewing. And at that point, you have to say, I have to exert my will. And begin the upward process now. And that's, of course, where faith comes in, because from a faith perspective, whether you see it as Jesus or God or Buddha, whatever, the idea that there is a power that will hold that rope and you can hold on to the rope and you will be pulled back up. And that's where I think a lot of people are right now, knowing that it is our job to co-create with whatever the power of love is to take this world into a better place at a time when it is clearly so threatened. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, wow. You just give me shivers down my spine. You know, it's so there's so much science and science is so spiritual, but there's so much science in what you've said. And I always say science and spirituality are exactly the same thing. These categories that we come up with, these are man-made. I remember when my father used to show us an atlas at the time we were looking at an atlas and he would say, God didn't draw a line between France and Germany. God didn't draw a line between the United States and Canada. These are man-made. And so are all these categories. like. At you know, science is over here, relationships are over there, spirituality is over here. You, 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 if you're going to have a whole person perspective on life, you need to have a whole mind perspective on life. And you really do find that art and poetry and profound philosophy, Jungian symbols, those things teach you as much as science does. They're just different ways of languaging the same thing, ultimately. Totally. It's just two sides of the same coin. It's part two, and the one is more of the story. You know, you've got to have the two sides of the coin. And if, if this is where, as you say, the separation has created so much dis, um, disruption in our human psyche, and that's, you know, the last 50 years has been really bad with the that, that kind of move towards if you can't see it, touch it, feel it, it's not important. You know, the whole mind, the whole focus on mind that we had for thousands of years, and even into the first 150 years of, of advanced science, has shifted in the last 50 years where, oh, we can't see it. So, you know, we're relegated to that part of the world that, uh, meanwhile, our mind is, if you're dead, your body disintegrates. So, you know, what mm -hmm. is going? It's your mind. And our, and exactly. our core, 
the wisdom and there's a whole science and I won't even go into that now because I want you to talk but it's basically our unconscious mind is this where our wisdom resides and we are made of wisdom and if we tune in and listen we can actually tune into that wisdom and that's what I every time I hear you talk I hear you calling us back to that deep inner core of who we are and if we start listening we're not going to be fighting with each other we're going to be agreeing to disagree we're going to be finding solutions and you are a lot about finding solutions in fact you comment quite frequently about how within the problem something along these lines within the problem that's where we find the solution and I know that's something yeah yeah that's a line from AA every problem comes bearing its own solution sometimes it's when things have been dark and things have been painful that our heart cracks open and we are willing to be more authentic and real and a lot of layers of inauthenticity and falsehood and illusion fall away. So sometimes it's, we were talking the other day about COVID. I think it threw everyone into their heart. Mm -hmm. People either went into their fear or they went into their heart. And fear is now talking very loud. And if fear is talking loudly, it's not enough for love to whisper. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's, you know, it's not just a matter of knowing what your heart is saying, which is your wisdom. It's being willing to stand on what your heart is saying, to act on what your heart is saying, to say what your heart is saying, which I think is a particular challenge for women because the system is, as we know, very patriarchal. We are more easily mocked for saying things. And you, like you were talking about the gentleman who made that sarcastic comment to you, and that's where sisterhood comes in. We have to stand up for each other right now. Absolutely. There's things, as we know, with the whole sexism thing, is it, it's something a woman can say, we'll get called aggressive, a man says that it's, you know, it's powerful. So, brilliant. <clears throat> brilliant or something like that. So, you know, it's a matter of us standing up and being firm. And as you say, the sisterhood together without, we're not trying to say anything weird. We just, it's, it's humanity really operating in equality and recognizing the, the, what each of us can bring to the table. Well, it goes back to what you were saying. First, you feed the babies. This should not be such a radical concept. Exactly. First, you feed the children, you take care of the children, you educate the children, and you take care of our home, which is the earth. Exactly. Most logical thing. Now, you talk about translating this in, and when you took, when you did your, when you ever you speak on a political platform, you talk about translating these philosophies into practical things, and you speak about this being the only country that doesn't have free education and you know free healthcare, the most basic. <clears throat> How everything's become the profit system. I remember talking to a group of doctors recently because I trained quite a lot of physicians, and they were saying that the whole profit uh, making hospitals, for example, into profit entities has right. all medical system. Well, that's why we shouldn't have a profit based healthcare system. That's why we should have universal healthcare. I mean, any doctor, any nurse will talk to you about just the horror of the hospital system in this country. And that's why we have huge hospital corporations, monopolistic corporations, insurance companies running things, big pharmaceutical companies. It's almost like today, I think we're at a point where people see the insanity. It Now the issue is how do we get out of it? And I think that when we have the conviction and we're willing to admit to ourselves that a Radical change is necessary. People are afraid of the word radical, but all that means is of the source of the root. You know, when you realize that you are really an addict, for instance, then you have to come to the realization you cannot take another drink. 
there are times in your life when you realize, no, we need to take a U-turn. And I think that a lot of people are afraid of the chaos that is involved in a in a societal U-turn, in an economic, political, and societal U-turn. So people keep wanting to make these incremental changes. But the chaos we should be afraid of is the chaos that will emerge if we do not actually decide to turn this ship around. And then the question is, let us be committed to turning it around very wisely, very responsibly, with great justice for everyone. That's the only choice in front of us. Are you going to change with wisdom or are you going to have change thrust upon you with chaos that could possibly overwhelm us? And that's what I think a lot of people are processing right now. Am I willing to stand up for a change that's not just cosmetic, a change that's not just incremental, for a change that truly does represent in our time as big a shift as has occurred at other times in in human history when people knew that the way we're doing it now is a trajectory that will lead to to destruction and self-destruction and 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 globe what could be at this time in our history at this time global catastrophe i think a lot of people are processing all of that like you said, and and are readying ourselves. The gestation is like we are readying ourselves for the labor process. And what we're laboring, what we're giving birth to is the version of ourselves that is ready to participate, to co-create in this profound evolutionary change. Oh, that's beautifully said. And, and COVID really provided a, a shift. Humans, if you look at the whole of human history, it's always some radical thing that spurs some new kind of change. So we people are ideally set for, they, they think differently. Looking at things differently. And then in retrospect, it seems so self-evident. I mean, in retrospect, yeah, women should get the right to vote. But at the time, women should get the right to vote. Yeah, exactly. At the time, even people who said we have to dismantle slavery. What do you mean? But there are always those who stand up for mercy and love and justice and forgiveness because it is they know the only survivable option for the human race. And you know what, you just having said that, the whole change thing and what you've just said now, when you think of the fact that the brain can actually change, the brain is not changing on its own, it's changing because of our mind. So when we change our mind, we change our brain, we rewire patterns. And when we rewire patterns, we change behaviors in people. So that means that humans can change. The evidence is there. We don't have to get stuck in patterns. I'm sure you know the story of the elephants who were living inside a pen, right? And then they took the fences down and they still didn't walk outside the line where the fence had been because they had been habituated Mm -hmm. to stay. And that's where people are. We are just staying within these confines of limitation. And that's the biggest danger right now is of people. It's like I read somewhere somebody said about the the environmental crisis. They said the biggest threat to the environmental crisis is how many people believe we could we can't save it. And that's how I see about repairing the world. The biggest, our biggest problem is how many people think, not how many people think the world is, is messed up. I mean, we're past the stage of denial. People yeah. get how messed up things are. Biggest problem, it seems to me now, is how many people just think it, it can't be done. It, it, it's too late. We can't fix anything. And that, of course, takes you back to faith. Because if you do have faith in a higher power, you have a faith that is greater than the material world, and you believe in the possibility of unlimited, radical, infinite possibility of breakthroughs that the mortal mind alone can't see. And that's, to me, the role of spirituality in our lives right now. 
that it enables us to consider the possibility that the world could truly change. When I'm trying to find something I need, I like to do a lot of research. With so many products out there, it's easy to end up with something that doesn't work even if it costs a lot. This is why I'm a big fan of looking up reviews, reading articles, or finding expert sources whenever I'm trying to find something I need. Doing your research before you buy means making better and informed choices, especially when it comes to stress or sleep products like CBD. One study by an independent lab confirmed that some brands contain up to 60% less CBD than they claim on the label. But with Next Evo Naturals, you can trust that you're getting the best of the best. As the most clinically studied CBD brand on the market, Next Evo takes research to the next level. I personally love their sleep gummies, which not only taste great, but are also really helpful and calming when I'm traveling or dealing with jet lag. I wake up feeling more refreshed and with more peace of mind. This is why I recommend upgrading to a CBD brand that takes quality as seriously as you take your overall health. Next Evo tests their products multiple times to ensure that you get 100% of what's on the label. Only Next Evo uses SmartSorb CBD, proven to have 30 times better absorption in the first 30 minutes and four times the overall absorption as other products. Next Evo does its research as demonstrated by four clinical trials. No other CBD brand comes close. Upgrade your CBD. Go to nextevo.com forward slash Dr. Leaf to get 20% off your first order of $40 or more. That's 20% off $40 or more at nextevo.com slash Dr. Leaf. The link and details will be in the show notes. Uh, and that's the hope that we have. And there's the, all the scientific, if people want scientific evidence for that spiritual principle that you've just described, you just have to look at the most fundamental scientific principle, which is, is quantum physics or energy physics, which is the fundamental before everything else. So <laughs> yes, and they can hear us, but at our core, there's layers going down deep to the most fundamental underlying principles of, of everything about humans. And that is the most accurate science. And if you look at that, it's it's waves of possibilities. You know, it's, it's about us in the world and the impact in the world. And we can change these infinite possibilities. And that is what the science is saying. So people don't have to be limited. You know, my daughter is pregnant with her first child and she sends me scans. And looking at those pictures, science is amazing. And science can show us what's happening with those little fingers and toes and forming. But science cannot answer that question. How does this even occur? How does this even occur? It can describe what is occurring in amazing ways, but it cannot answer that that underlying mystery. How does that happen? And I think there's nothing like the birth of a child to remind you of an underlying mystery. That's what we're missing in the world. We're missing a sense of awe before the wonders of creation. We're missing our sense of wonder. And that's what this overly mechanistic, fear-based mentality has done to us. And that's why we have such soul sadness inside the hearts of so many people. So that's so true. Well, congratulations on your, your daughter. My my eldest daughter is also pregnant at the moment. So I know what you're going really? through. Really? When does she do? On August 20th. Oh, later. Yeah, mine is due June 6th. Well, congratulations to both of us. Is this your first grandchild? First grandchild. So and yours Me too. Is- Do you know oh, what you're having? A girl. 
Yes, us too. Oh, great. We'll be sharing our, we'll be sharing congratulations. Yeah. Where is your daughter? She's in Dallas. Oh, she's in Dallas. My daughter's in London, actually. Oh, that's so you, well, it's a good excuse to go to London, which is such a great place. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Congratulations. That's wonderful. But I love that example that you gave of, of how that just shows you, you know, you, as science can describe, but the other side of the spiritual side of science is that awe, that wonder. And people are being drawn back to that and, and that grassroots level. You know, if you think of like the psychiatric world, it's there's more than, a, I think it's 100 million survivor sites or something like that of people that have gone through and that are coming back and saying, hey, we can't do it this way, we've got to do it that way. You know, so there is change on the horizon. Now, you're in the midst of that change, and I think your positioning now this in the second uh, um, second bid for president is actually perfect. You know, it's like you laid the, the, the foundation in the first. Now people are ready for something that is different. I know what people are thinking now is into, that are listening and potentially will be listening to this podcast is that what are some sort of practical things that you plan on doing? Because I know that you're filled with practical stuff. I've listened to you for long enough to know that you don't just say stuff. You actually have a plan behind every statement. Well, are you talking about the political externalities? What, or are you asking about? A combination of, of two. So basically what, as a president, what some basic things that you would do, and then internally, what, how would you help the minds of Americans? So how would you balance the two? How would you bring the spiritual and the scientific together? Well, in terms of political agenda, I think that because of that massive transfer of wealth that I mentioned, we are now in the grip of an economic system, which has it baked into the system that those who already have will easily get more. And those who do not have will just have to continue to try to struggle in order to survive what is basically an unjust system. So on an external level, I want to see universal health care. I want to see tuition-free college. I want to see an eradication of the college loan debt. I want to see free childcare. I want to see family and sick leave. And I want to see a guaranteed living wage. Now, I want to point out to all of your listeners that those things that I just mentioned are considered moderate positions in every advanced democracy except ours. So the people who say, oh, it's fringe, it's left-wing fringe, and not in any other advanced democracy, that's number one. And number two, those who would say, well, we can't have those things here because they're complicated. No, it's not complicated. That's not what's happening here. It's corrupt. It's mm -hmm. the undue influence of all those corporate forces on and their lobbyists on our lawmakers. Now, the American people have had, it's like the, the information has all been scrambled and the dots aren't connecting for people. And I, I believe that part of what makes me, I would say, I would say qualified, what makes you qualified, I think those who have, those whose careers have been entrenched in the system that drove us into this ditch, I think they are the ones who should not be considered necessarily qualified to lead us out of it. Einstein said, we will not solve the problems of the world from the same level of thinking, kind of thinking we were at when we created them. My qualification is that I don't look just at the at the symptom. I do look at, at the cause. And I know that none of that is going to change unless the human mind begins to truly embrace what the possibilities for regeneration are. And, you know, Franklin Roosevelt used to have fireside chats with people. I would very much use the bully pulpit, take the opportunity week after week, month after month to talk to the American people about the changes I think are necessary, how all of us have to be part of them, because the great presidents have known that they couldn't get anything done unless the people were willing to go along with them. That's really what leadership is anyway, holding the space 
for the brilliance of others so that there's a co-creative process moving things forward. Beautifully said. That is so beautifully said. That co-creative process is definitely not happening currently uh, because when you have that kind of co-creative process and align to leadership, you're going to this, you know, the, 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 the nastiness that's happening, the, the incorrect kind of friction. Right. But, so oppositional. We're, we're at a stage of fusion and we need to turn it into fission and fusion, moving into the fusion rather than the fission. Rather than getting our energy from separating, we need to move into getting our energy from coming together. And I think that there are many people on both the left and the right of the political spectrum who are ready for that, who are longing for that mm-hmm. and who wish to be inspired by that. And that's what I hope the campaign will do for people. And I hope one day, if it's God's will, that that will also be a presidency, which provides that for people. Absolutely. What you said, I do too. I totally support that. And, you know, your your moderate, uh, your your, your comment you made about most democracies have free health care, et cetera, et cetera. As they Absolutely. Absolutely. We've just been trained in this country to expect too little. Americans have been trained to shrink their political imagination. We used to do great things in this country. And today, getting anything accomplished that in any way has to do with just helping people survive what is essentially an unjust system seems like too heavy a lift for the system. But that's because the system itself is so bought and sold by these corporate forces. So the people need to step in now. We need to have an intervention. We need to introduce that counterforce. And I think with enough love in our hearts, we can do that. And you, and I can just give you a scientific little backup there with the principle operating is that there's the, power, the power of enhancement overrides the power of competition. And so the competing that's going on. So when we have an enhancement culture, we actually, which is all about trying to find this solution and in the problem and connect with each other, you actually increase your wisdom and intelligence, your brain functions in a healthy yeah. Yes, yes, hope. Yes, hope is born of participation in hopeful solutions. Just get out there and do something. Answer the calling of your heart and you will find there's a magic in that. There's a, the conviction itself brings with it. You know, Martin Luther King said, we are aided by invisible cosmic forces, cosmic companionship that feels like angels pushing you from behind when you say, I'm going to live my life in service to something bigger than myself. That's the insanity of the fear-based perspective. It's the idea that there, I'm alone here, there's nothing but me that matters, and the best I can do is make it okay for myself. That's a, an ultimately self-defeating, self-destructive, and even deadly perspective. But when we say, I'm, I'm here with everyone else who is as wounded as me and, and tr- trying as hard as me and falling sometimes as much as me, but together we can reach each other and we can take each other's hands and do something beautiful mm-hmm. uh, for our great-grandchildren the way generations before did something beautiful for us. To me, that's the zeitgeist of this moment. It's the zeitgeist of this moment. I love that. And, you know, people know this instinctively. It's in our gut. It's what we know is our humanity. We know that. So the, thing that's, that are hap- the things that are happening around us are mm-hmm. telling chaos. They're creating that mm-hmm. chaos. We're drawn to those not because we're wired for evil. We're wired for love. We're, lo- we're wired for love. We're drawn to those to, because it's imbalance. So we, we're drawn to that. And we're talking about these things because we're drawn to the imbalance to restore the balance. So if I had to kind of summarize what you, what I think you're saying is that we, we're trying to restore the balance when we restore yes. the Yes, the world is very imbalanced, deeply imbalanced. We have been mesmerized by things on the outside and the musculature by which we see the inner truths have begun to wither and people are beginning to exercise them again. And I do believe we're on the brink of a great era of regeneration and repair. If we choose to be, 
And for us to even accept any other possibility is unacceptable. Wow. I agree with you. Well, on that note, I just, I think you've said it all. That's just, it's, it's amazing. Congratulations for running. Thank you. I hope that the next time I see you will be congratulations with your baby and then congratulations <laughs> president. There'll just be all these wonderful Thank things. you. Thank you. I appreciate that thought, putting that out there. Also, if any of your listeners want to go to my website at marianne2024.com and support the campaign, it's one more thing we can do to keep pushing the boundaries and allowing for a new possibility in our time. It's wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. For Thank your- you. Thank you so much. I hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful. If you want more tips and help with managing anxiety, depression, and mental health, be sure to visit my website at drleaf.com and to sign up for my weekly newsletter, where I also include a schedule of my speaking events and so much more. And follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leaf. Also, I love seeing all your posts on social media about this podcast. I love seeing what resonates with you and what you've learned. So be sure to continue posting and tagging me and letting me know what you think and how these tips worked out for you. And don't forget, leave a review and keep spreading the word about this podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I really hope you learned something new and helpful. Till then, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf. This podcast represents the opinions of myself and my guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for educational and informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any individual medical questions you may have. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions or corrections of errors.